Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And before we get into this week's guest, as always, I just want to shout out my patrons, Rob, Frankie, Emily, Greg, and Case. Thank you so much for your support. If you too would like to get a shout out at the top of this very show, you can go to patreon.com slash stormageddon and join at any tier, I believe, $5 or higher. Um, but any amount at any tier helps. Uh, it allows me to keep upgrading and changing and improving the show, not just this one, but all the stuff that I work on. Um, but also, if money is not a thing that you have spare of, which I totally understand, a rate, a review, a like, a subscribe, and a share also goes a huge, long way for this show. But enough about me and self-promo. Let's talk about this week's guest, which is the incredible Bright Kelly. I met Bright Kelly through the incredible community surrounding Kate Nix. Kate Nix uh, suggested Bright as a ideal guest for the Autographs show. The Autographs show? Yeah, whatever, we'll keep it in. Um, and uh, yeah, she is a two-time guest I would trust with my whole heart for bringing anyone on the show, and so I brought him on, and I was not disappointed. He is a delight. He is an incredible musician, singer-songwriter. He's in a band. He does solo work. He does live concerts on Twitch. Um, it was just a really great conversation about the realities of quarantine and artistry and how they are living together in this really unprecedented time. So without any further ado or mouth sounds from me, please enjoy the incredible episode I did with Bright Kelly. Awesome. Um, well, I'm really excited, Bright Kelly, to have you on the show. We run in the mutual circle of the incredible Kate Nix, who is a, a human delight ray of sunshine who I adore. Um, and uh, I'm really glad we connected because I've been listening to your music all week, both uh, both your band and your solo stuff. Um, and what I love, so often with a lot of solo artists, you'll hear them and their bands tend to be similar. Um, some break off, but a lot tend to be in similar vein. But what I love about the great enough and your solo stuff is it's so divergent. It's so different and both great yeah. in such different ways. Um, and that's, yeah, not a lot of crossover. <laughs> and that's just, that's as a music nerd, that's absolutely fascinating to me. Cause of course, as someone who listens to a lot of music, I listen to hip hop. I listen to rock. I listen to R and B. I mm -hmm. listen to folk. Like, so it, it's not that foreign for a musician to also be that way. Um, for both your solo stuff and the stuff with the band, do you, are you drawing from similar influences, different influences? It's just translating differently. Like where are you pulling your inspirations from? So, you know, the whole, um, like necessity is the mother of invention thing. Yeah. Uh, that's why there, there, there is a solo project on the side is because of necessity. So I love my band. It is, it is my top priority. It is my main thing. It's my main, like income, income, all of the above, but it is a band with a sound and we worked really hard to find a sound and define a sound so that when you listen to the great enough, if you've heard us once and we come on again, you're probably going to be able to pick us out right. and go, oh, yeah, that's the great enough. You're not going to go, is that is that royal blood or is that <laughs> nothing but thieves or whatever? Um, not to knock those. I love both of those bands. That's bad examples, <laughs> but, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. And so I started working on this project that I, I codenamed Orphans. And it was because these were songs that um, that had no home in the great enough uh mm. where where it was just so obviously off the beaten path and then there was and there was no way to like course correct it into the sort of bombastic alternative rockosphere that the great enough occupies and and so i just started putting these songs together and the first one i start I, the first one I, I wrote that really became obvious was the recently released how we live and die mm -hmm. and the minute I wrote that song, I was like, "Oh, the band's not going to do this. We're not going to. We're we're not going to know as a four piece what to do with this. Or if the band does do this, it's going to change too much about it for me." Yeah. And so it became an orphan, and it spawned the idea of the project. And I went to the band and I said, "Hey, look, don't freak out, but I'm going to do a solo thing." And they were like, "Yeah, cool." <laughs> nice excellent that's awesome yeah, yeah the, the first time i heard uh how we live and die i was kind of blown away i mean i guess it's safe to assume that you were a fan of rock and roll and rock and 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 that yeah. kind of music uh just based on yeah. your sound but what i love about 
How We Live and Die is it has so much power behind it, just mostly being the guy in a guitar kind of feel. But mm. it's still ha- like a lot of I love singer songwriters and I love the kind of acoustic sound and the like single instrument singer sound. But there's something about the power and the emotion of that and row that are just unique for that kind of music. I have to imagine the process of writing those songs is an emotional one. It's coming from a deep place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Row is uh, one of the few songs I've written that is distinctively a story song. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my songs are, are pretty tightly connected to my personal experience. And that's an example of a song that's written from a place of fantasy. And I thought that would make it uh, easier to divorce myself from the feeling of it, but it actually made it a lot harder. I, I, I sort of fell into the care, the character of this personality of this, uh, of this person who is, you know, like rowing his family to safety so he can turn around and go essentially risk his life, maybe die. Um, and that ended up being a lot harder than like writing songs about the woman I eventually married or writing songs about things that have actually happened to me. That's interesting. Um, you never know how what- we live and die is the same way. Yeah, it's interesting how you never know with an, uh, an artist how that's going to go. Like, I've interviewed a bunch of musicians, and some people say the lyrics come first, the song come first, personal stuff is easier, stories are easier. And it's always fascinating, like, each, no no human, I think, who writes music writes it the same as another human. There will be simul- similarities, true. but I feel like it's always such a personal experience. When you're putting these songs together, do you try and attack the lyrics first, create a story, and then put music behind it, or do you go the other way? <laughs> So, uh, so the bright of last week and the bright of the week before that write songs different ways. Even. Um, I, I, uh, I don't set rule. I used to set rules for myself on how to do that. Um, and some guys do, you know, you like, you hear these stories about like rivers Cuomo of Weezer has these binders full of random couplets and rhyme rhyming dictionaries and right. all this stuff. And he like puzzle pieces things together until they make sense for him. Or, or, you know, you hear about like Brian, Eno had those has like the, the deck of cards called oblique strategies. And that's how he tricks himself into writing songs. And I can't do any of that. I, <laughs> I, or, or, or sometimes I use tools like that when I feel stuck, but the vast majority of the time um, there is a, there is a divine spark of an idea and I chase it down and, and try to blow oxygen on it before it's gone. And, and sometimes that is, sometimes that idea is a really great turn of phrase or a really, a a really good single line. Sometimes it's a song title. I'll just write down things that I think would be great song titles or great album titles. Yeah. Um, Like I've never finished it, but I, I always wanted to write a song or, or have an album called With What Burning. And I don't know why, but I like Ooh, that phrase. That is a nice phrase. I like that as a title. Never never wrote it, but the spark <laughs> is still like lying around inside. It's actually the, ta- the chapter title of, an, of a, nov- a chapter in my novel. And, and uh, eventually the rest of that spark will come and it might be me sitting playing with a guitar and having an idea, or it might be something that rhymes with it. And I, I never know. And so it keeps me on my toes. I have to be ready to... Uh, I have to be ready to do whatever the song requires of me. That's interesting. I feel like they're a separate entity and I'm just like, it's like a hunter gatherer situation. Yeah. If I don't get there in time, I'm going to, I'm going to starve and we're going to lose the song. Yeah, no, I, and like as a creative myself, like coming up with concepts for shows to produce or, or podcasts to put put together, like, Sometimes I don't have an idea for a very long time or it takes a co-host to come to me and be like, hey, we should do this thing. And then sometimes mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and go, I have to make this thing. I don't know how I'm going to do yeah. it, but I've got to make it. And I always find that those those kinds of ideas sometimes have more legs just because you you can't explain the need. You just know that the mm-hmm. need is there, right? And there's something kind of mm-hmm. mystifying about that. Right, exactly. I actually like that you're able to articulate that. It's because because it's it's difficult to explain to people who've never felt like the idea was in charge yeah. what that feels like. But often for me, I'm not in charge. I'm I'm at best a conduit, and most of the time I feel like a guy with a butterfly net, just kind of like chasing to, songs down. Yeah, just trying <laughs> just trying to catch the the idea that before it's gone, and and I rarely feel like the master of what's what's happening. I. I I almost never feel like the master of what's happening. So with but I that, like it. I like it that way. Sure. And I mean, you found a way to work within that environment, right? Which is key. My question is, since you work that way, you must not have like a backlog of unused tunes or unused lyrics. Or do you have that as well? Uh, I have 
I have recently tried to count my backlog. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I, I, I recently, and, and you know, talking about like uh, uh, lyrics that I've written down on my phone that haven't been set to melody, or guitar parts that haven't been uh, set with lyrics, or or ideas and stories that I've had that haven't turned into. And I have a backlog of. I ran out of. Uh, I'm sure it's not a total count because it's scattered across four notebooks two devices and of a wide variety of recording apparatuses, mm-hmm. apparatusi, apparati, whatever. Either, either one. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, it's actually, I know for a fact it's apparatuses. I'm just being smarmy. Um, <laughs> but I, I stopped counting at like 185. Jesus. And, wow. and I'm sure there's a few more and I went, okay, well that's actually another part of the reason the orphans project was happening is because the great enough is a lot more methodical because it, everything filters through committee. And right. I started going, well, there's so many things here. And if I only move at the pace that the committee can move, a lot of this stuff is never going to get done. Right. Um, and that, and that would be kind of a shame because as, as, as strongly as I feel that the great enoughs catalog is worthy and interesting and all that stuff, like I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think that, but, uh, I would hate for these little orphan ideas to starve out to die right. because I because I couldn't find the time or the energy to make something of them, mm-hmm. and so, and then the pandemic hit, and it was just like, well, there's literally no excuse. Get in there and do it. Yeah, same. No, yeah, especially for me. Like I started producing more stuff just because I had the time and I could help, mm-hmm. like on my podcast network, as I was talking about. Um, what I'm curious about with you, because you like our friend Kate have made a business of also performing online, especially now in the pandemic, performing on Twitch like she does, um, and plenty of other musicians do. Like, tons of folks who even before the pandemic weren't. Like, I'm good friends with Megaran, who is a nerdcore rapper. And beforehand, he was mostly playing video games on Twitch. He was touring live. But now he does DJ sets on Twitch and concerts on Twitch because we can't get out anymore. What's the biggest difference for you from performing at home or in your studio versus the live audience? Like what's the biggest either positive, negative, just something that's different? How about both? Sure. Do it. I can give you, I can give you both. Um, the, the freedom is cool. Um, owning the show as it were, and, and, and sort of donning all the different production hats and learning how to make the overlays and work on transitions and do all these like little sound effect things and stuff to make the show cute and interesting. Um, those are all, those are all things I find value in, uh, things that I find really, um, exceptionally stimulating. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and so that's great. And then also the constant need to have a show ready, like I'm doing one tomorrow. Right. Um, and the need to have a show ready means I'm constantly thinking of new themes or, or new hooks to drive interest in the show for myself, actually, more than anybody else. Because if I get bored, it's over. If, if I don't find it stimulating, it's over. I'm not going to do it. Right. And so that's the biggest positive is that it's a constant um, kick in the pants. I like that. <laughs> and then n- negative, um, I miss volume. Sure. I, my show ha- of necessity is quiet. It's yeah. it's acoustic instruments. It's there's no uh, there's no amps and drum set yeah. behind me, and there couldn't be because I'm in a room, not in a concert hall. And yeah. I have neighbors, and I'm not a monster. And even if I were in a, in a quiet, soundproofed basement somewhere, uh, I'm one guy. Yeah. And while I can play all of those instruments, I cannot do it all at once. For I lack the limbs and or specialized <laughs> robotic prostheses to allow that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I've, I've had to learn a little live looping and um, and sort of had to improve my skills as a keyboard player and things like that. Just because um, I don't think a show where all I do is play acoustic guitar is interesting enough for me. And if it's not interesting enough for me, why would it be interesting enough for anybody else? Totally. Yeah, no, I absolutely get that. I, I, I think the same way with my podcasts. Like, I want to make I, like I sometimes get mad at myself that I make shows I want to listen to because I can't I don't I'm editing them all or most of them. So I'm not going to listen to them. Also, I'm recording them. So I'm not going to listen to them. I, there are only so many hours in the day. But that said, like the fact that I'm excited that the things I make exist is what I think keeps me making them right. Because if you're not excited for it, why would anyone yeah. else be excited for it? Yeah, you know, you hear about people who kind of like dive into a thing just to make money or to be successful. And I, you know, maybe that's 
a personality trait that I lack and I, I'm not knocking it, you know, do, do your thing. I'm all for whatever somebody finds useful in their own life. But like, you know, I know guys who go down to Nashville and just write really like really derivative, cheesy, deliberately exploitative country songs yeah. and they make money. They make money doing it. You know, like uh, a friend of mine, he never, he never actually did anything with this. He wrote it as a mental exercise, but he wrote a song that contained this terrible lyric that was like, um, my blood is red. My t-shirts white and my jeans are blue. And if you feel the same as me, I'll have a drink with you. And that's <laughs> awful, right? Like that's just cringy and terrible. Yeah. And he wrote that as a joke to himself, but then you go and you listen to that specific brand of like Keith Urban-y kind of stadium yeah. country. And, and that stuff's in there all the time because there are guys who have like figured out the formula and just decided they're okay with exploiting that to get the check. And I just, um, I don't have that. I can't yeah. do that. I can't make myself do it. Yeah. I could write the songs. I know how, but I can't, I can't make myself make that my life. Sure. Well, no. And I get that totally too. Cause same in the podcast realm, like there are tons of other interview series. There are tons of other like weekly report series. And like mm -hmm. what made me want to do a show like this is that sure. It's a chat show like other chat shows, but I'm not going to like print out a list of questions i'm not gonna like give you a pre-interview it's like i want a casual conversation especially in the time of pandemic i feel yes. like talking to people like i was i did another interview earlier today with a friend of mine jason redder who is an actor and a delightful human mm. and like we're talking and he's like yeah before i got on the call i had to remember how to form sentences how to talk to another person because yep. we just go so long now without doing that yep Yep. Yep. The, I, like, I remember how to talk, but I, I forget how to behave as if there's another side to the conversation because I'm often talking at the empty camera yeah. to, and then waiting 45 seconds for somebody to respond in the Twitch chat because they're on a delay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and actually that's cool that you interviewed, interviewed, uh, Jason Ritter. I, I think I recently, I'm almost positive. I recently watched something, uh, that, that he was in because I was recently on his Wikipedia page, um, <laughs> trying to figure out who the heck he was. And now I know. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. That happened yesterday. Amazing. Yesterday I went, yesterday I went okay, well, I, I recognize, I recognize that name, but I know it's not Josh Ritter. Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Jason, um, I don't remember what I was watching. I wonder if it was, maybe it was Gotham. I've been watching that a bit recently. I don't know if he was on Gotham. I can't remember. I mean, his, his, uh, IMDb list is, forever long he's been acting forever yeah, yeah, so yeah. but but yeah no i think there's this importance especially now in the time of pandemic and connecting with people and like i was genuinely very excited when you wanted to come on the show because not only so cool. well because not only knowing that we have a connection with someone who i treasure so i know she wouldn't recommend someone who's a douchebag like especially at this point in her life like she is done yeah. with those kinds of people i think that's she, so true i think she always was but like i knew you were good people just by that recommendation and then so beyond that then checking out your music and looking at your live stuff i was like oh this is awesome i'm excited to talk to another human because i think these kinds of connections just they get so much more visceral and so much more important during the pandemic especially considering the stupidity that we see outside of our social circles <laughs> and the struggle that we see that that other people are purposely causing harm to other humans because they don't want to wear a fucking yeah. mask and it's just oh my god dude it's it's just and i'm getting like really snarky about that by the way I'm, I'm i was telling somebody like i have like little catchphrases i reserve for those occasions when i have to go to the grocery store uh -huh. or whatever and because like my biggest pet peeve like obviously i'm more angry at the unabashed i'm not wearing a mask people than anybody else but i actually have a super strong reaction to what i call the dick noses yes the, pe the people whose nostrils are hanging out of their uh -huh. mask and I, and I always look at them and I go, hey, man, I don't know if you know this, but like just from me to you, here's here's a piece of unique biological trivia. Your nose and your mouth are connected to the same lungs. <laughs> I don't know if you're if you're aware of that, but but if uh, one is showing, they might as well both be showing like this is not helping. And and I, I take a so I used to be on a, I was briefly for a portion of my life. I was on a cane while I was recovering from some surgical stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and I, I still have the cane from when that happened. And I take that with me to the store now because I go, hey, look, this is six feet. <laughs> and I wave it at people. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it drives me bonkers. Uh, my my spouse uh, has high, is high risk and recently had surgery. And she's great. She's great now. Mm -hmm. But, like, we've taken extra, extra precautions, like super, super sure. overcautious. And, like, I'll go to the supermarket in our neighborhood and someone will be walking around with not a mask on right behind me. And, like, I'll stop and go, do you mind? Six feet, please. 
I don't want right. to get sick. And then they look at me like I'm the asshole. And I'm like, what? Like, what? I don't know how I can be nicer about your stupidity. I'm trying. Here. I gave up. I gave up on being nice about it. I've decided that if they're going to look at me like like I'm the asshole, then I am comfortable being perceived as the, <laughs> the asshole. asshole. Yeah. I've just decided it's okay. Like if 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 you can't deal with me insisting that you take basic precautions, that you can, if you can't do like the on your face version of just wearing a damn seatbelt so that people don't stop dying. I don't care if you think I'm an asshole because I absolutely <laughs> feel the same way about you. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> this time that we're living in has taught me so much about myself and so much about my neighborhood yeah. and the people around me. And it's both uh, heartening when good things happen, but also e extremely depressing when most of the other shit is going down. Yeah, uh, has any of that motivated you in your songwriting at all l lately? Like, are you finding music in places or finding your own songwriting in places that you didn't before because of everything that's going on? Yes, absolutely. Um, first off, I'm literally, tr I, I, I've literally written five songs that I've decided not to keep. And I, you know, I, I keep taking the bits of them that feel vital and migrating them into the next edition. But, um, but I've been working on the song that's trying to encapsulate how I feel in the pandemic, which is that I'm, I'm an introvert mm -hmm. by nature and, and I, I don't mind being home alone. I, I actually don't go out unless I have a show or my friends are bugging me about it, even when we're not under a lockdown. And so it's not uncommon for me to spend a lot of time on my own. And I'm very comfortable like that um, in, in contrast to my wife who uh, re likes to take walks and be on the phone with her relatives and say hi to the neighbors and pet, pet people's dogs and all that stuff. So she, it's a little harder for her than it is for me. But after a while, the sort of touch hunger does start to lay in because I, I'm, I'm an introvert, but my circle of friends is if anything closer because of that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of us are a little introverted. And so we don't all have huge numbers of friends and huge numbers of social things to go and do. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just this like under 10 hardcore family of us most of the time. In fact, in my case, it's mostly a group of four or five people who are just like sitcom level in each other's business. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I miss being able to throw my arms around them and I miss being able to like, you know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, we used to work out together three times a week and we used to game together on uh, play tabletop RPGs together sure. on on Sundays. And now we see each other on a video call on Sundays to run the game. And that is it. And even just today, he messaged me and he was like, I miss you, dude. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm finding that the world is both kinder and crueler than I initially perceived it to be. The pandemic has revealed that my, my understanding of the the spectrum of human emotions was limited. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. now, now, now I, it's it, the analogy is now I can see an infrared as well. You know what I mean? Now I can see UV as or or, or, or thermal vision. <laughs> I've got predator vision. I was just gonna say, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's just there's all these new uh, there's all these new behaviors, uh, and you're seeing the best and the worst of people. I have snoozed or unfriended a lot of people over yeah. the last few months. Same that I used that prior to the pandemic, I thought were excellent people. Same. But as soon as I see you like arguing about whether or not to send kids back to school right now. And I just go, Oh, I don't, there's no, there's no argument that kids should go back to school right now. That, that, that argument doesn't exist. Yeah. You could argue that you could argue that it's hard on parents. If they don't, you could, ar you could argue that, that the burden and the hardship of children not being able to go back to school is incredibly hard on parents and on children. And I agree with all of that, but at no point to me, does the solution become send the kids back to school. Uh, the solution is always various stages of fix this part of that problem. Like, okay, well we can't expect parents to oversee the homeschooling. Great. Throw money at that problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just anything before. And, 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 at this point, I know I'm right because Georgia just reported that a second grade class has tested positive for coronavirus. Second graders, dude. Second graders. Uh. The We've already established that a human adults cannot be responsible. But sure, let's try let's try it with second graders. Uh, yeah, it's 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 insane how life has changed with all of this. And I find I cling I cling to friendships 
uh, more and newer <laughs> friendships, I explore faster because I want to know more good people since I'm hemorrhaging people that I thought yeah. were were stand up or good people or intelligent people. And it, it's shocking. Also, like talking about the physical touch thing, like I'm a hugger. I've always been a hugger. It's just the kind of person I am. But that said... Um, I'm also a person who didn't know, you know, doesn't always get along with his parents. They have never did anything wrong. They were great to me. I just, I, sometimes my parents drive me crazy like all parents do, but like going to see them, uh, we had a social distance gathering. It was my brother, my sister-in-law, their kids who are teenagers and, um, and my parents and like being in the same space, six feet apart from my parents and not being able to hug them crushed me. And like, even my, my nephew and niece, who could care less about anything at this point. They're at their, that age where, like, if I'm talking to my nephew about video games, I'm the coolest uncle on the planet, and then anything else, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And with my niece, if it's not musical theater, and it's not my spouse specifically, she doesn't care either. She's done. She's like, I could be doing anything else. Um, but that said, still, <laughs> like, getting the reluctant hugs from them, like, I missed it. And, like, it, it there's this... Like, I'm very blessed that I have an, a loving spouse who I get to spend a ton of time with, more time than we ever spent before, and we love each yeah. other very much, and we can hug and hold each other, but it's not the same as, like, the familial or the friend embrace or contact. No, it's not. And, and I'm going, and I'm hitting that, And but that said, going out and seeing my family, even though we couldn't hug, it did re-energize me in a way that I didn't expect, because we were at least in the same damn physical space, six feet apart, wearing masks, and, you know... It was better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We recently did a social distance, like safe in the park with the masks on gathering with some friends. And it was healing in a lot of ways. And it's funny, man, I'm not a hugger by nature, but all of my friends are. <laughs> and so I actually spent years being mildly uncomfortable with the level of touching my friends enjoyed <laughs> and being like, and being like the guy, like I normalized my friends shaking hands uh-huh. by grabbing forearms yeah. instead of hands. Cause hand hand contact made me a little weird. Um, and all the, and, and literally all of my friends for, to the, I guess not to this day, but to the beginning of the pandemic, that's how we shook hands. Like, like Hercules. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, legendary journeys. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I like that. You got the reference. Uh, hell yeah. Um, uh, well, I, you know what? I had good feeling about your ability to get pop culture references when when I realized that your uh, your Discord name was a Doctor Who reference. So. It is, yeah. It's not only my my professional DJ name, but I was named because I started in the burlesque scene with a friend around the time that that episode aired, and he <laughs> just and, and the Dark Lord of all, and so that he just called started calling me Stormageddon, and it just it just stuck. And uh, it was Nasty Canasta who really drove it sure. home. And like when Nasty Canasta gives you a nickname, it sticks. That's it. That's yours forever. And so I leaned into yeah. it. Uh, yeah, no, I I have a limit. I miss the days when Kevin Sorbo wasn't publicly a douchebag, but beyond that, oh yeah, I I I love. Xena, Hercules. Well, you're allowed to love Xena. That, that that show remains both relevant and feminist. Yes, absolutely, it does, and, <laughs> and it's amazing. Lucy Lawless remains awesome. She never she never did anything to horribly disappoint us. She never went down the uh, the the Kevin Sorbo road or the. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples because m- most of the time when it's a celebrity who comes out and turns out to be like a Trump supporting bigot of some stripe or another. It's always somebody where I'm like, yeah, obviously like kid rock. That didn't surprise anybody. Right. No, Not at all. But, but, every, but every now and again, you're like, Oh, Oh, the, the other example is Chris Pratt. That was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. When Chris Pratt turned out to be a conservative knob, I'm like, really, really Chris Pratt. Yeah. You're, that's the church you support that one. Come on. But the fun part is um, the opposite. Chris Evans really is Captain America. And I am so happy dude, I love about that. that he like stopped cursing because of that role. He took <laughs> right. it so seriously. He was like, I guess I can never curse again. It's so good. It's so brilliant. Yeah, he's, per- yeah, he's perfection. Um, love that guy. But yeah, no, it's it's tough in this time. You know, yeah. also it's kill your idols, right? Like it's it's so mm-hmm. much harder, especially like I don't want to say it's hard being a white dude because it's not at all. Like that's not no, true. It's not. But it's hard having heroes who are white dudes now because most that's of them true. suck. And yeah. and I'm not someone who will mince words about it either. If you turn out to be a sexist, racist, you know, right? Like bye bye Ryan Adams. I didn't. I, 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 that discography mattered that his his collection of music was everything to me yeah and when mandy moore and when mandy moore and the rest of those girls came out and said what they said i went okay fuck him yep 
just completely i i guess i'm never gonna cover when when the stars go blue again yeah that's just that's just life because i you know i'm not one of those guys who can separate the the art from the artist to any major any major degree you know what i mean like it's one thing if you're like a mildly controversial artist who sticks your foot in your mouth or whatever you know what i mean like a john mayer sticking his foot in his mouth in the 2000s or whatever i can roll with that stuff but like when I was a kid, one of my favorite book series was this series called The Belgariad, right? Mm-hmm. And it was by this dude named David Eddings. And I was like, oh, what a great, like, like, like high fantasy romp this was and how, how, how connected I felt to these characters. And then a few years ago, I found out that he was arrested and did a year in jail in the 70s because he adopted a foster child and then locked him in a, in a dog cage in the basement for, for weeks at a time. And, and him and his wife separately both served a year in prison for abuse of a kid. And I went, okay, well, dead to me. Yeah. Dead to me. And if it ever came out that I was some horrible, horrible creep, I would expect my fans to do the same thing to me. End yeah. me. Cancel me. Game over. It's, there's a, there's, there are things that can be forgiven and there are things that cannot. And I'm not, it's not even like I'm a Mr. Cancel culture guy. Like, yeah. not, to, not to run off on a tangent. I, this is actually a thing I'm really passionate about and a thing that I think is important. I am not actually a proponent of cancel culture. I don't believe that one mistake or one bad deed should erase a person's career. I think everyone should be given an opportunity to respond to what they did, to explain why they did what they did, and to explain what they're going to do next to make restitution. But I think that it is really, really rare for someone to say something in the wake of an accusation that doesn't make things worse yeah. and that doesn't and that and, and and that doesn't dig a hole. And of course, in the case of Ryan Adams, it was not one bad thing. It was many bad things over many, many years. It was a it was it wasn't Cosby, but it was re- repeat. It was serial behavior. Yeah. You know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head where somebody uh, did something bad and then made a good apology. I don't know. You, you could say there's gray area about like Aziz Ansari, right? Or or whatever. Um, but for the most part, like I'm a pro- I'm a huge proponent of restorative justice yeah. over retributive justice. Yeah. But <laughs> that does not mean that we make allowances for people who actively continue to do bad things, and especially because it is 95% of the time turning out to be guys who look just like us. Yep, absolutely. Like, And it does, you know, like, woe is us. This is our horrible burden to bear. Oh, no, oh, no. It seems like the, the, the lot of the quote-unquote, like, good white guy these days is to be doing as much as we can to make up for what people who look like us are doing or try to to put goodness into the world or be a megaphone for people who don't look like us or whatever yeah. but <laughs> you know if if the big if the worst thing that i have to deal with as a white guy is the fact that a lot of other white guys are awful i'm still experiencing a great deal of privilege in my life yeah for sure and like I I am honest about my privilege constantly. Like I am a bisexual sure. male, but I'm in a straight presenting relationship. I am Jewish, mm-hmm. but for all intents and purposes, I'm white. I pass, you know. Yeah. Um, and so even with the, you know, and so of course I'm scared with all the anti-Semitism in the country and all of that stuff. But I still yeah. have so much more privilege just at a first glance than mm-hmm. most of my friends. And yeah, and, 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 and kudos to you for being able to casually talk about intersectionality that way. Yeah, uh, because, because that's important. It's important to know, like, so many people think that, that the white privilege has something to do with you having like money or good things in your life. And I'm like, dude, I, I slept in a trash bag full of other people's clothes until I was like eight years old. I, I'm I'm uh, a child abuse survivor. I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Um, I'm I'm a survivor of a great number of violent incidences. There's a huge scar that you can that you, other people mm. won't be able to see, but you can see this scar on my head right here, where a bunch of guys beat the snot out of me with a hammer when I was 16 years Jesus. old. I I, I I grew up in a in a really 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 bad neighborhood. I went to really 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 dangerous schools. I had a huge amount of privilege because all other things being equal, if nothing else about my life had changed, but I was also black, it would have been a lot harder for me. Yeah, and totally. that's white privilege. Like. I went through all the things that I went through, but when I wrote a college essay about it, the college admissions person thought that my story was very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, would that have happened? Would that have happened if my name was Jamal? I don't think so. No, definitely not. No, you're absolutely right. And it's like it's reckon and it's impossible. Like there's so many like escapism is important right now, and yeah. I will never fault yeah. someone for that. Um, but just the same, we can't ignore it, and we do have to engage with it when we can. And I think that especially in the arts or with a podcast or with a Twitch stream, you have to like. I know so many people are like, well, I'm not going to talk about it. It's not my place. It's like. There are ways to do it and there are ways to lift the voices or lend your audience to those voices. And I think it's yeah. more important now than ever. Um, you know, there there's performative um, support for this and I never want to do that. But I always want to be sincere in the ability to lift up those who need it or help in any way that I yeah. can and use my privilege for good, as it were. Um, yeah, and I it is it is your place. It's it's everybody's place now. Yeah, and so I have to imagine as a songwriter and a performer who's performing regularly online, mm -hmm. it is impossible to do what you do without engaging in this stuff. Whether it comes up in chat or whether you're writing music, or I imagine that all of this affects the work you're doing now. It absolutely does. Um, uh, my audience already knows that I'm a politically outspoken person. I am. <laughs> If if there is an epitome of Kate Nix's social justice barred T-shirt, it's you. It's me. It's it's me, and it's Kate. Um, <laughs> that that shirt exists because Kate and I needed to be wearing it. Um, <laughs> uh, because, you know, I I to your point, I think it's everybody's place now. It's not enough to be anti. It's not enough to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist. Yeah. It's not enough to be. Uh, non-sexist, you have to be anti-sexist and you have to be actively those, those things. Yep. Because at this point, I think fence straddling is pretty directly supporting the people who are hurting others. Yeah. And since most of that vitriol is not heading for me, um, because again, to, to your privilege, I am, um, I am also what, what, what you would call a stealth member of the LGBT community <laughs> right. because, be, because I am in a monogamous relationship with a woman and I have been in many monogamous relationships with women in my life and, and, uh, all, uh, all things to the contrary have, have been either very low key or very not public. Right. And, and until recently I hadn't publicly, I guess queered myself is probably the term. Um, that's the term that my friend Joe used. Um, and I did that on an episode of my show. I, I specifically did that on the pride month episode of my show because I, I went, well, I've been benefiting from this privilege for a very long time and sure. There's only 70 people who are going to, who are going to see this live in real time or whatever it's going to be 70, 75 people were, I think watching on that show. Um, but I, I, I came out sort of in, on the show right before doing a song because my privilege uh, was shielding me. And I think it's more important that it be, that it be shielding other people. And so there's a lot of uh, political talk on my show. Um, we actually end most of the shows with me playing a song called um, stay the fuck home. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, and we talk about it really openly and anybody who can't get down with that doesn't stay in my community for long. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm the same way when I stream games now, like I have a, I have one of my prompts, my auto bot prompts, whatever they're called. I'm I'm a professional, I swear. Um, but one of my <laughs> auto prompts uh, is about the Black Lives Matter movement, and it it has a link to like a ton of resources in case you have no idea where to start. I want that in my feed. I want my viewers to see that so they so they can approach it if they not thought about it. And I've not had anyone react poorly to it yet, but I imagine at some point I will. And if I do, I will have my mod. Uh, confront them and remove them if necessary. Like yeah. I, I just, I, I, I have, I'm sure. Yeah. I have to imagine that it has come up before. Yeah. Yeah. I got in trouble live at a show actually. Um, so, and it was subtle and I felt bad, you know, because I don't dehumanize the opposition as I see them, but cause I do see people who still support Donald Trump as my opposition. I, I, I do. Like if you voted for him in 2016 and you have remorse about it, that's different than if you're if you're still supporting him now. Um, but I even humanize people who are still supporting him now because I think it is always uh, the result of either ignorance or cruelty, and cruelty can also often be a kind of ignorance. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't run from a dialogue with anybody who disagrees with me politically I, I i try to have an open conversation with people i try to i try to convert i try to 
what's uh, I, I try to will McAvoy from newsroom, you know, I try <laughs> yeah, to get yeah. on a mission to civilize. Um, and it doesn't always go well. In fact, it often doesn't go well, particularly when you're dealing with people on the internet um, who feel emboldened to say whatever they want to say. But I was at a show where we opened for uh, the wallflowers and we were asked to take a photo with, with this group of guys and um, they were super nice and super supportive and they couldn't say enough great things about our music. And they had just bought some merch and um, they were a riding club, a motorcycle riding club, mm -hmm. not an outlaw club, but like just a bunch of guys with motorcycles who enjoyed them. And um, when we were getting ready to take the picture, I, uh, I stopped the camera guy and asked everybody to turn around and take it from the other direction because they had a thin blue line flag on their display and I didn't want to be in a photograph with it. Right. Um, they didn't, they weren't wearing MAGA hats or they didn't have anything on their persons. And the thin blue line is a particularly, uh, interesting example because I think up until the George, George Floyd protests, a great number of people didn't see what was wrong with that and right. couldn't see what was wrong with that because you know if you if you went up to a person a year ago and just said hey you su you'd you'd support like the rights of cops to right and you know it's a leading question and you you'd want to go well yeah i mean of, of course i do why wouldn't i and not realizing that the thin blue line has all these racist implications right. or or that so much of it is about cops protecting cops from consequences when they do bad things blah 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 and you think about it as just being like you know if you walked up to somebody and you were like well look you you wouldn't want somebody to go and 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 start shooting up this group of people right no, of course I wouldn't. And so the thin blue line is like really de extra divisive in a way that even the MAGA hat is not. Right. Um, and I caught some flack for asking for it to be out of the photo from uh, their table organizer. And I was like, look, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, my convictions are my convictions and they're not conditional on being easy on you. Yeah. And like, good on you to about, do that. Yeah. Well, you have to. And because people ask that all the time, too. How many times have you been in the conversation where somebody said something? Because I have addressed this on the show a number of times um, where somebody would say something like, um, how would you feel if it was your brother, your daughter, your whatever, um, talking about, uh, you know, protests against cops or, or whatever. And, and I always have like a really strong adverse reaction to that because why should that change the answer? Yeah, it shouldn't matter. Right. Your convictions should not be conditional on based on how convenient they are. Yeah. You know, it, the right thing to do should be the right thing to do, whether it's the easy way or the hard way. And you should be endeavoring in your life to do the right thing, no matter how easy or difficult it turns out to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100 percent. And I think it and it and it and it's hard and it's hard to reconcile with that stuff, but it's still important sure. to do it. And I think, yeah, like. You know, tons of and I haven't always. Yeah, of course. Me neither. Like, I learned a lot in the last year that I probably <laughs> should have learned a lot sooner. But, you know, I'm learning yep. and I'm I'm actively yeah. trying and I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. But the difference is I'm actively yeah. trying to do better, learn and move in a direction where, you know, basic human rights should exist that don't exist right now. Sure. And it's like, you know, if I got wildly famous tomorrow, if 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 like my song was chosen as a theme song to the next James Bond movie or whatever. Nice. I, and and I and I needed to like hire an assistant to go through my social media and delete everything embarrassing. There'd be plenty to do for yeah. that person, you know, like just to out myself right now, just in case this ever comes up in the future. I'll just out it right here <laughs> on your podcast, man. Um, I actually used to be one of those guys who wanted to have the discussion about the Irish slave narrative. Uh, I used to be that guy. Uh, and and of course, now that that's cringy to me and I go, yeah. Oh my God, no. What were you thinking? And I want to punch 22 year old me in the face right. for, for feeling it. But I actively did that. And, and I used to be the guy. And now this guy makes me cringe too. But I used to regularly be the guy who'd say, all right, but just to play devil's advocate. Oh no, no. Right. Bro. Right. No, but, no. But you didn't, but you didn't know, yeah. you know what I mean? Certainly 10 years ago, I didn't know yeah. when I was, when I was in college at the peak of my Dunning Kruger years, thinking <laughs> I knew everything. Right. And now, you, you know, now, now having grown and learned that 
I'm a dumbass like everyone else, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm an educated dumbass and I'm a dumbass with a really good memory and an ability to process information quickly, but none of that makes me not a dumbass. Correct. So, you know, having been the guy who used to do those things and who used to derail conversations about slavery by discussing the fact that my family emigrated here after the civil war and therefore I wasn't culpable for, it doesn't matter, it dude, doesn't I matter. benefited from the institution yeah. and I didn't know that stuff then. And it took, of course, <laughs> friends of color to correct me and yeah. teach me. And, 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 you know, and, and then the big epiphany. And tell me if this is true for you, because I asked a lot of people this. Um, did you have you lived in a relatively urban environment in your life? Yes. Have you been an active voter most of your life? Yes. OK. What percentage of times that you have voted has your voting booth or polling place or the person who accepted or gave you your ballot been a black woman? Is it a high, in thinking about it, is it a high percentage? No, probably not. Okay. For me, it's almost 95%. Oh, wow. I, I started paying attention to it over the years and I realized, and then I started looking into it and I realized that, you know, pound for pound, I think black women are the most politically motivated and polit politically active demographic in America which is why they were able to save the world from the the ravagings of would-be Senator Roy Moore a yeah. couple of years ago. So like for me, uh, people of color are saving the, saving the world from itself and saving me from myself for years now. Yeah, no, totally. And I should make it very clear that we are two very white men having this conversation and that we only oh, yeah, have dude, we're a tiny percentage of, like we, we have the whole world's horse in this race, but like, a personal yeah. experience, tiny. I just, yeah. I feel like it's white always important dude. to call that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a white dude with red hair. I am super white. No, and it's funny because I'm actually not, but, but it doesn't matter because I'm super white passing. Yeah. I, uh, my, 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 um, my great grandmother was a uh, native Hawaiian. Wow. And so, yeah, and I, full on, like we know her name, her history, the whole shebang. Um, her name was Malia Kabakane Lehua and she emigrated here from Hawaii and I still have relatives on the island who you would you would stand them next to me and you'd be like, well, clearly you guys are not related because I look super Celtic. Yes. And I'm aware of that. And and therefore, it doesn't matter. I have, you know, like Elizabeth Warren, I have enough. Uh, I have enough genetic material that I could have put Pacific Islander on my college applications. But I didn't because I'm not. Yeah, I'm really not. I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> like call it, you cool. could, you could dress it up a million different ways, but when, when your skin is white and your hair is red and you get people telling you, you look like insert white celebrity here your whole life. In my case, it's been a lot of Chris Pratt and Val Kilmer. Um, <laughs> uh, you're, you're white. Yeah. And just accept like, totally. like in your case, you're, Jew you're Jewish, but you're white. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've gotten a lot of Trent Reznor actually, when I was younger, I can uh, see that. Thanks. Uh, you know, I mean, there are worse people to be called, although I'm nowhere near as jacked as he got in his later years. I don't understand how that happened, but it's phenomenal. Good for him. Like, he's like a tiny tank now. Um, but anyway, ask, ask me about that on a completely different podcast. I'm a personal trainer. Oh, excellent. Um, we just got a ring fit for our switch and I'm actually very excited about it cause we can work nice. out at home. It's, and it's something like I'm a gamer. So gamifying anything will get me to do it before anything mm -hmm. else probably. Um, but let's I'm thinking about buying that plank thing, but yeah, shift gears. Yeah. Let's go back to music. You know, that thing that people <laughs> might actually be tuning in for. Um, so I have some suspicions of where your vocal influences might come from, but who are some of your Ooh. favorite singers over the years and where, like who you think you're emulating or where you drawn inspiration from? Oh man, I totally want to hear yours first. Well, so uh, specifically on what we were talking about before on how we live and die. Is it weird that I heard Bruce Springsteen in there? No, a lot of people keep saying that. I just and it's funny because I did not hear that when I did it. Sure, but you're you're not the first person to say that. Preoccupied with how we live and die, yeah. that that made them think Springsteen. Um, and I I love that. First off, I do I love Springsteen, and and really interestingly, that was not true probably ten years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I as a kid, I could not stand his music. <laughs> Um, as a teenager, could not stand him. As a young adult, could not stand his music. Um, and in college, my uh, my uh, my a friend of mine in college who would later go on to become my girlfriend and then my wife. Um, <laughs> but when I met her in college, we used to take all these car rides, and she would play a lot of Bruce Springsteen stuff. And I I'd only heard you know like 
glory days and <laughs> you know the big ones the, the, yeah the radio shit i didn't realize there was this incredible wealth of music that, that was much more experimental um and and so yeah uh springsteen is an influence but not necessarily a conscious one but uh but i think it, when you have a raspy voice comparisons to him are inevitable because i can't I can't really get rid of all of that. I, yeah. can, I can clean my voice up to some degree. Like I used to do musical theater and, and sort of classical singing and I can still get clean enough to carry those. But um, I can I can only take it so far. At the end of the day, I, yeah, I have a recipe voice. Sure. For me, big influences. Um, Adam Duritz of the Counting Crows was a big seminal influence as a child. Sure. Um, uh I used to think the raspy voice was going to be uh, a liability. I thought it was going to be a problem <laughs> until I until I heard Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem. Sure, sing. yeah. Um, You're like, oh, a, you can do that? Yeah. <laughs> he became a huge influence on me, which actually led back to Bruce Springsteen because he's a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Sure. Um, I, and then uh, outside of that, man, it's almost all soul singers. Um, I am... Com I am constantly trying not to I'm trying not to consciously imitate anybody. I'm not sure. trying to to I'm trying to find my own voice at all times. But there's a lot of there's a lot of Otis Redding. Sure. In in my in my tr in my training. <laughs> there's a lot of uh Sam Cooke in my training. Um there's a lot of Wilson Pickett in my training because all those guys had that oh, kind of like that ability just really 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 gritted up yeah and finding and finding that i had that ability those were the guys who taught me how to use it and then uh a bunch of my biggest influences are uh are, are actually female singer songwriters which who i don't sound like at all right but who in, inform my phrasing like i'm a massive massive adherent of um ingrid michelson I'm a massive adherent of Regina Spector. Sure, of course. Uh, I'm I, I'm a massive adherent, actually, and people think this is funny, but Sarah McLaughlin. Sure. Um, I just think she, you know, put putting away the song that made everybody sad about dogs. Yeah. Um, she's got a really interesting diction. Yeah, she's totally. got a really interesting phrasing. She's got a lot of looseness yeah. in the way she pronounces things, and you certainly can't mistake her for anyone else yep. when she's singing. And then Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes. Nice. That'd be the last one. Yeah. And, and, what's and I'm sure there's a million more, but those are all big ones. For sure. And like, I think at the end of the day, we are our influences, whether we realize yeah. it or not. You know, I, yeah. I, I listen to a huge variety of music and genres, but my favorite artist growing up was Queen. And yes. And now uh, a hill I will die on is Freddie Mercury is the greatest, greatest. singer to ever have lived. No one sings he like him. Period. He is he is the single greatest frontman in rock history, and I will back you to that un, until I. That is the hill I will die on with you. I yes. agree. Um, I don't cite him as an as an influence because our voices are so wildly different. But sure. I could but I could sing the Queen discography to you for a quarter right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I see this as the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful friendship, right, Keller? <laughs> I think so. Um, but that said, like. Now going back and listening to all of their old stuff, you know, all the way through their discography, I'm like, oh, there are elements of hip hop in here. There are elements of sure. R&B and rock and punk. And like, same with the Beatles. Like the first time after I was a big punk going back and listening to Helter Skelter, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this wasn't punk because punk didn't really exist yet in the way Total it does punk. now. But it was definitely, it's definitely a punk song. It is a punk yeah. song. And, and like- yeah. That kind of broke my brain. It was actually when a uh, rock band Beatles came out and I was playing a lot of their mm -hmm. discography and I am not a musician on any level other than I can identify really cool music. Beyond that, I am useless. But playing rock band, like I would listen to so many more layers of that stuff that I just didn't notice sure. before. And when we played Helter Skelter and I'm trying to strum along, I'm like, oh shit, this is a punk song. What the hell? <laughs> Where did this come from? I'm uh I'm such a massive Beatles fan. Like, so I think the Beatles are not overrated. That's how much I like the Beatles. Same. Um, because you, you, they're, they're widely considered the greatest band in the history of music and the most influential band in the history of music. And I think that reputation is 1000% deserved. <laughs> yes. And if anything, I think they don't get enough credit. Um, <laughs> I, that's I how big a Beatles fan I am. <laughs> and, uh, 
I like them. I like them so much, and I've dug so deep into learning their sounds. Even though that's, I don't think that's an audible influence in my music in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Except maybe my my style as a bass player because I I play like Paul McCartney with a pick and muted. <laughs> um, but I actually have literally bought preamps for my recording studio specifically designed to get the guitar tone from Revolution. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's brilliant. Because because Paul and George like practically invented heavy distorted guitar. Helter Skelter is like the closest thing to a metal guitar tone for another like 15 20 years after that song actually existed, you know what I mean? Without totally. them, no deep purple. Yeah, totally. I'm a diehard Beatles fan too, but now to see how in sync we are, my, uh, I will tell you my favorite Beatle and then you will tell me yours. Um Sure, go for it. Mine is George Harrison. I, Minus George Harrison. Excellent. Ah, oh, we're destined to be best friends. That's it. Once the pandemic's <laughs> over, we're just gonna hang out. It's gotta happen. Um, there's something about. So I bought the collections edition of Beatles Rock Band that came with the George Harrison plastic controller because I needed. Mm. Like I just there's something about his songs that speak to me on a level, and his music that speaks to me on a level. Like um, my favorite song by him ever is not even a Beatles song, and it's such a cheesy song, but it's I got my mind set on you. Because Great song. It's just such. It it is. It slaps so hard, uh-huh. even now. And it's a masterclass in pop songwriting. It, it is a masterclass. It's just astonishing to me. Like I I, I yeah. forgot about it for a long time, but I remembered the music video from when I was a kid. Both of them, because there are two different versions, and. I recently, I think, let's say within the last five years, went back and listened to that song again and that album again. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Like, it was like I'd never heard it before almost. It was my astonishing. My favorite is probably What Is Life from All Things Must Pass. That's um, a good one, I too. Just, I just think that song also just slaps so damn hard. Like, that, that, is, that is eternally, like, <laughs> the bop. And I think no, uh, I think no Beatle had a post Beatles career that came close. I would agree. You know, totally. John Lennon did some great stuff. Paul McCartney did a couple of cool things. Not so much. Like Paul, I think Paul really kind of blew his load with the Beatles in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, I think his best work is with the Beatles. I think John's best work uh, is Venn diagram. I think of some yeah. of it's with the Beatles and some of it's not. And then I think George had this just incredible post Beatles solo career. I think all things must pass is the greatest, like, out of the ashes of a band album in the history of music. It's just this uh, front to back. You can't stop listening to it. No. And I like as a true Beatles fan, you didn't mention Ringo at all. <laughs> I like Ringo. I though. do too. No, do. he gets a bad like rap. Him. Um, R- Ringo was the perfect drummer for that band. Correct. He was the right Absolutely. guy for them. Yeah, totally. You know, And there are things he contributed to drumming that are like unique, like there's a way of playing the hi-hat that other drummers will recognize as the Ringo way. Cause a lot of guys, the, the stick goes up and down yeah. on the hi-hat and Ringo watch all videos. Ringo like does yeah, this side sweeps. to side movement. Yeah. It's, it's referred to as uh, washing the windows <laughs> and it makes the hi-hat instead of going, it goes like a little bit. It just makes it like loosen up a little bit. And it, and you know, like that's Dave Grohl. Yeah. Does that because, because of Ringo. It's Great. Talk, talk about a musician so who influenced me, and I'm not even a musician, but Dave Grohl is probably one of my all-time favorite musicians because, mm-hmm. like, I loved Nirvana, but then his post-career with Foo Fighters and then them Crooked Vultures and literally everything he's done on the production end, like, yeah. th- there's something about him. And also, he's a genuinely decent dude who is sometimes like yeah. a superhero, like, played a show with a broken angle on a throne, high up on drugs. Like, this guy is what I... I wish not that all rock stars were, but he's like what I think of when I think of a modern rock star. I don't think of some drugged out, blissed out, fuck up. Like I think no, of that's I, what you want. Yeah. Like I, you want yeah, Dave Grohl. And I don't think there are a lot of guys who have his stature. No. Um, he's a huge influence. Actually, the Foo Fighters in general are a big influence on the great enough. And I think that kind of does come through a little bit sure. because all of us are big fans of the Foo Fighters. And it's funny because as, as much as Nirvana was really essential to my uh, development as a musician, if I could only listen to one of those bands for the rest of time, it would Foo not Fight. be. Now, okay, what's your favorite Foo Fighters song? That's tough. I mean, like, it's classic to go back to the shapes and the colors, and there's something about my hero that resonates in a way. Sure, sure. But I'm a... I, I don't know. It's so it's really so hard. I mean, also all my life, there's something that gets me fired up about all my life that no other song does. 
Like I yeah. just I just love that guitar riff. Like I could listen to that guitar riff forever. So that's I'm, probably I'm one of my I'm a toss up. It's either Walk, which oh, is my favorite is to cover. Yeah. I just walk love to cover that one. I do I do a piano only version of that one on the show oh, once in a while. Lovely. Um, and it's between that and uh, a, a pretty deep cut off of Sonic Highways called uh, God is My Witness. Oh, God is My Witness is such a good song. That Sonic Highways is so song. underrated. Yeah. It's a Queen song. It is. It when absolutely you is. It, like, that is completely a Queen song to me. And My Holy Trinity is Queen, David Bowie, Prince. Like, that's... There you go. That's the three That's the three. That's best the correct answer. The that's the correct yeah. answer. I don't care what anyone else says. That's the correct answer. I literally have, I literally have tattoos for them. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but they're not actually influences on the way I sing. They're sure. influences on the way I write and the way I perform. Because my voice doesn't lend itself to doing... What any well maybe Prince I'd say there's probably some Prince in my singing style, right? Um, but the other but you know Bowie, I sound nothing like him. I, there's not a whole lot from his his technique book that works for my voice. Um, right. And Freddie, uh, same thing. What I what I take from them is theatricality. And in in the case of Freddie, um, Freddie has the greatest breath control mm-hmm. in music. Like Absolutely, he could just hold he could just hold a note for a million years. Yeah. And I did learn that he has great posture on stage. You can always see that his stomach is really really tight and drawn in, and he's always really active yeah. in his body. And he does this opera thing. Now check this out. Watch old videos. For a guy who moves as much as he did, and I do the same thing because of him, there's an opera thing called park and bark, uh-huh. and it's yeah. a technique. So the opera technique park and bark is when you're getting toward a really high note or a really long note or something that's really difficult for your body. If you've been moving before that, you plant your back foot, you tighten in your diaphragm, you relax the rest of your body, and you just go. And, and, and it puts all of the tension in the right places. And Freddie Mercury does it a lot on stage and he, he just moves so much in between that you can't tell and it's amazing yeah yeah no t- for sure if you watched uh, uh him do we are the champions or or bohemian rhapsody live like in those old videos like he's absolutely doing that and like mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, my favorite thing so to show you before we wrap up the kind of nerd i am when i first got my driver's license okay. the first thing i had to do was get three of my other friends four of my other friends and drive and headbang and headbang to Bohemian Rhapsody. Like I made my friends do it, yes. and most of them wanted to. But like I was like, I have a car, and also this is something my parents, Dude. if they ever listen, probably never want to hear <laughs> that when I first started driving at seventeen, I was headbanging and not looking at the road. But that said, I had to do, do it. Do Zoomers know about that? I don't does, know. Does, does, does Gen Z does Gen Z know about that? I don't Gen know. Z, if you ever listen to this podcast, <laughs> please tell me that you know about headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody. Please. And if you don't, please go watch Wayne's World. <laughs> please. A movie I watched recently, I was a guest on a podcast called Let's Rewatch, where they talk about a movie Ooh. they haven't seen in a while, then pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and talk about how it held up or didn't. Um, Recommend uh, me to that. I would love that. I will send it to you. And my episode was on <laughs> Wayne's World. I picked it out of a few different... And I was so afraid that Wayne World wasn't going to hold up because a lot of comedies hasn't from the 80s and 90s. But Wayne's World, True. except for a few small moments, is so pitch perfect comedy mm-hmm. and still holds up so well. It's ins- It was insane to me. Like I laughed out yeah. loud so hard at that movie. And The opposite of rewatching Ace Ventura. Oh. And it's a that like, does, it doesn't just, hold up. No, it doesn't. The mask doesn't hold up either. A lot of Jim Carrey nope. stuff doesn't. And that's a bummer because I love Jim Carrey. Liar Liar kind of holds up. Yeah. Yeah, that's Kinda. that's a good one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all that said, uh, Bright Kelly, this has been a pleasure. I feel like we could yeah. talk for another four hours, but neither of us has the time. But <laughs> That's true. I actually have another call <laughs> in like a few minutes. <laughs> Excellent. Then we will wrap it up. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a delight. I hope to catch your live streams mm-hmm. in the future. You can come back anytime. And I literally have Great, man. three other podcasts that love having guests. So I'll have to have you back on those. Um, Please do. I'm a huge nerd. I'm all about coming on to talk about, you know, video games or tabletop or, or movies or pop culture. I'm all about it. I literally have a video game podcast that talks about uh, the variety of gaming. And I do have a pop culture TV and movie podcast. So we'll get you. That's, in. that's, that's the next one. Let's that's talk about one. that one in the future. We will. <laughs> um, but that said, um, before you go, um, I want you to tell everyone where they can find your music and where they can find you on the internet because I want sure. them to check out your stuff. I appreciate that. All right. <clears throat> the part where I plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so my band is called The Great Enough. 
you can search The Great Enough on the streaming service of your choosing or go to thegreatenough.com. We are active on Spotify and Instagram primarily, but we are on everything. Uh, my solo material, everything is at www.brightkelly.me. That's spelled just like it sounds, B-R-I-G-H-T-K-E-L-L-Y dot me. Um, and that has links to carry you through to literally everything, no matter what you want. And of course, I encourage you to uh, find me on Twitch or social media at brightkelly19. 19 awesome. being the best number. It is the best number. I agree. Absolutely. Um, this has been eye-opening and incredible. Um, I'm so glad that we became friends because I'm saying we're friends now. That's it. It's done. We're friends. We're friends now. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll have you do is we have a saying on this podcast that's born out of my now-retired music review show. And it's the idea that if you're creating art of any kind, no matter what's going on in the world, life isn't that bad. You can get, you can move on because you're making art. And so distilled, the phrase is, music is life and life is good. So if you could sign off the show by saying that phrase, we will wrap it up. Music is life, and life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. Bananarama? Okay. Okay, all I, right. A band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. As a pastor's kid growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of mainstream entertainment that I was sheltered from. Steven Root, he does one of the voices. Okay. You know him from news radio. Do I? You know him from office space. Do I? You know... Ah, <laughs> uh, most things, really. So, now that I am an independent and out queer 30-something, I'm finally asking my friends to teach me about all the stuff I missed out on. Wait, Raffi did Beatles covers? Yes, he did. My mind is blown. <laughs> he did Octopus's Garden. And, um... Yeah, I remember Octopus's yeah, Garden. No. I didn't know that that wasn't a Raffi original <laughs> until just now. The re-education of Hazel Tart. Subscribe now. Kevin Costner. He was so foxy. You... I know the name, I don't know the face. I cannot. What is Kevin Costner? Can you just show me a picture of Kevin Costner's no, face, please? Think of the guy, this is hurting not Cheech Marin, but think of the other guy in Tin Cup. I've never seen that.